Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome everyone to episode 121 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and it is officially time for March Madness. So today we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament and kind of give you a preview of the NBA side of things. Which prospects to watch uh, and what matchups could be enticing to NBA scouts down the line. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. We're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FRS Hoops with a Z. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Well, Brian, always, it's always exciting at this time of year because there's a lot of basketball going on from the NCAA tournament, which excites me, so I'm doing very well, and at the same time, I'm doing not so well. Your family is special. That's why Pathways Financial Credit Union offers many mortgage options to help you buy that special home or refinance your current home. Pathways offers some of the best rates and lowest fees you'll find anywhere in the country. As the fastest-growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years, you know you can trust our mortgage professionals to do what's best for you. Visit one of our convenient locations or check us out at pathwayscu.com. Offer of credit is subject to credit approval, Pathways is an equal opportunity lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. Because I'm looking at the ages of these kids and I'm like, I'm 31, soon to be 32, <laughs> and I feel really, really old. Um, I, I can't dunk, Brian, and yeah. these kids at 18 are, are jumping out of the gym and I'm sitting in a chair. That feels, <laughs> that, that doesn't feel, feel me with self-confidence, you know? I thought you were going to say you weren't doing well because Ben Simmons owned you on Twitter yesterday, but I he guess... He owned me? That's... that's Hey, hey. He Sorry. liked a tweet from someone I was arguing with. That Your idea of ownage, we, that needs to be recalibrated, my friend. That's fair. He just... He set off an absolute firestorm in our mentions after that with shout out to the dude who said Donovan Mitchell's going to be in the EuroLeague in five years. Truly outstanding ignorance all around. Uh, joining us today, also, we have a very special guest to help us break down college basketball because, Mort, you and I are both uh, not as well-versed as we need to be. So joining us... Oh, is... we're idiots. Yeah. So joining us is Chris Stone. Chris, how's it going? It's going really well. I'm excited to talk to you all about college basketball, March Madness, and how that relates to the NBA draft. Awesome. So, Chris, before we get going here, uh, please let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at T Stone Hoops. 
Uh, I do NBA draft work over at Sporting News and College Basketball, get fan-sided, and rush the court. Very good, yeah. Give Chris a follow. He's a, a really sharp mind, and I've learned a lot from him this year and in years past as well. So we're excited to get underway here, Chris. Uh, let's just start, I think, really the probably the most logical way is kind of just start working down, you know, there's no consensus big board, but we'll we'll start with the guys who are being mentioned in that top five to six range, and then we'll just work our way down through the mid to late lottery, mid first rounders, and then any other guys who uh, you think would be of interest in the coming weeks. So let's start right at the top. We'll go DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you know, he seems to be the one guy mentioned in the same tier as Luka Doncic. We at, heading into the year, it seemed like Doncic was the clear number one pick, and Aiton. I, you know, the, what little college basketball I did watch last week, I did see him in the Pac-12 tournament, just reaping souls against USC. So, Chris, where are you in terms of the Doncic versus Aiton debate? And is there anything Aiton can do in the next couple weeks to really cement himself as the number one prospect in this year's draft class? Sure. So I'm still in the Doncic camp in large part just because what we've seen from him uh, over in Spain is second to none in terms of what we've seen in, in production in that league before. So I think it's possible for Aiton to pass Doncic in my mind, but there are a couple of things that I think he has to do. One uh, of those things is that he has to improve defensively. One of the weird things about college basketball is you end up with players playing out of position. So DeAndre Ayton is almost certainly a, a five at the next level, but he plays as a power forward for Arizona because they have another big man and because you can do that in college basketball. But one of the things that that's meant is that Ayton's defensive instincts haven't been able to develop as well this year because he spent so much time chasing around smaller players on the perimeter and he's not rotating as well down low as you'd like to see for someone who projects to be a potential primary rim protector at the next level. So one of the things I'll be watching for in the tournament, just in terms of, of film is how well he's making those defensive rotations. If he's rotating over from the weak side and able to challenge shots. Uh, and then the other question that I have, and I'm not sure this is one that can be answered during the tournament is just how well Aiton can fit in an NBA offense. He is, at this point, pretty heavily devoted to playing in the post uh, and working on his game that way. He does have the ability to pick and pop in the mid-range and occasionally shoot a three, but I'm not sure how many great NBA offenses are oriented around post-play. And if they are oriented around post-play and they're good, you have to be like the top 1% of centers offensively, and that's just a high bar to set. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> I, the, the you know I'm a Sixers guy obviously so I have experience with Okafor who was a dominant post player who didn't work out so well and then Embiid obviously who is doing a little bit better on that end so I'm excited to see Aiton and how he develops more I know you've been in love with this kid I remember back in the fall before people were really catching wind of him you you sent me a couple streamable clips and you're like look at him he's amazing <laughs> uh yeah. what are you hoping to see out of him at the tournament this year um actually just what chris said more defensive intensity him improving on his rotation patterns uh that has been his achilles heel offensively i think he's been absolutely wonderful uh, that the jump shot seems to be legit, which is a necessity in today's league. So for him to be more assertive defensively and maybe you know continue to showcase that range a little bit more, we, I think that would just settle down any nerves that scouts may have on him because it's pretty 
you know it's low volume three point shooting for example so he if he upped that a little bit and started hitting it at a higher rate that would go a long way um but yeah i mean he's just such a physical freak right i mean he he's he right now you can plug him into an nba offense and he'll run the court and he'll finish plays and uh, i i love this dude and I, I want to see him take over this like mentality of just owning players like i i want to win <laughs> this for everyone i i i'm going to take this team on my back and i'm going to put up these you know 32 and 18 like he did right. the other day which i mean this is coming at the best time for me him was it back-to-back 32 point games i think it was so him getting into that groove right now is is just phenomenal and i want us to see him keep doing that because there were some questions and i think there still is so some regarding him as you know, a, a player who falls in and out of the game mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, he still has a few question marks that he needs to, to answer. Gotcha. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you guys, but it seems like regardless of whether you have Doncic or Aiden, number one or number two, those two guys seem to be a tier ahead of the guys in the three through five, three through six range. Does that sound right? I think that's generally true for the consensus. It's not true for me, um, but that's oh, mostly a reflection. Yeah, it's mostly a reflection of of my feelings about where Aiton would fit um, in the NBA, just as as his potential, both as a rim protector and anchoring a defense, versus you know the elite offensive ability that certainly exists. Um, but he's someone who I have a little bit lower on my board than than the general consensus. But I think what you're saying is true, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so don't don't tease us anymore, Chris. Who do you have in that range as well? Sure. Uh, so the number two prospect on my board right now is actually Jaron Jackson Jr., who mm-hmm. okay. is a Michigan State freshman. He's 18 years old, one of the youngest players in the draft. Uh, the reason that I moved him up is he's kind of shown the best defensive instincts of any of the bigs in this class. One of the frustrating things about Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton is that they're not averaging the blocks you would expect an elite center prospect to average, and one of the excuses for that is that they play this kind of power forward role in college basketball. But Jaron Jackson is doing the exact same thing for Michigan State and is putting up 5.7 blocks for 40 minutes. So I don't really buy that as an excuse. Um, Jackson also has legitimate three-point upside. He's been a good shooter all the way through high school and including this year with Michigan State on a much higher volume than either Bagley or Ayton. And then it's just with him, it's just a question of finishing plays around the rim because he's a little bit slighter of frame uh, and not the vertical athlete that either of those two are. But his credentials in terms of kind of fitting the unicorn archetype are, are pretty real. Wow. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I guess <clears throat> knock on wood, Michigan state and Duke, it looks like could meet in the sweet 16. So we could get a Jackson versus Bagley one-on-one showdown. I think that's the one that everybody's hoping for. They played earlier in the season as part of the Champions Classic, but Bagley got poked in the eye early in the game and only played about 10 mm-hmm. minutes. During that stretch, at one point, Jackson kind of gave Bagley the business on a shot block that I think got everybody really excited initially, um, but we didn't get to see all of it because Bagley got hurt. Interesting. All right, well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Sorry in advance to anyone who's cheering for <laughs> Duke and uh, Michigan State's first and second round matchups. But for NBA interest, it seems like that could be actually pretty informative uh, in terms of shaping the big boards down the line. Uh, Chris, I also want to ask about Michael Porter because he had missed just about all of the season with his back injury, came back during the SEC's tournament, seemed like he was a little rusty, 
what are you expecting to see out of him? He's in a really interesting position. Obviously, he hasn't played uh, much this season. He only played two minutes in their opener. Apparently, I saw today his dad did an interview, and he said that the only reason he even played those two minutes was because they only notified the coaching staff after the starting lineups are already in. So he probably shouldn't even have played those two minutes. Um, we've basically seen him play two college basketball games at this point. He played a charity scrimmage against Kansas before the start of the season that if you know the Kansas-Missouri rivalry was far from just a traditional scrimmage. Uh, and then he's played against Georgia in the SEC tournament. And when he returned against Georgia, he looked kind of awful. Uh, as you would expect for someone who hasn't played for three months, he was rusty, slow defensively. And because of the type of player that he is not integrated into the offense, he finished with 12 points uh, on 5 of 17 shooting. So that wasn't particularly exciting. I think we're likely to get a good look at him in the NCAA tournament, though, because for their first round game, they're starting small forward. Jordan Barnett is suspended because he got a DUI last weekend. And so I think that we're probably likely to see Michael Porter move into the starting lineup and play a significant number of minutes. Awesome. Okay. Well, Mort, in terms of your big board, where are you, you know, these guys are all probably going to be out of the range of the Bulls, but let's say they end up with the third or the fourth pick. How would you rank the Porter, Jackson, Bagley trio? Uh, I would actually go with Jackson as as the top of that list, uh, just as Chris had him, because the, the the thing about Jackson that wasn't mentioned before is he's a year younger than DeAndre Aiden, for example. I think that factors in a lot because that just means he's that young, that much younger. He has that extra year of development coming to him, and he's already highly productive He's hitting 80% from the free throw line, which indicates that he's got some shooting ability. And we also see the three-point field goal percentage. That was above 40 for the vast majority of the season. Now it's at 39. That's still very solid. So, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm agreeing with Chris here again on, on the unicorn thing. I think that's that's who you go for if that's the thing. In terms of, of Porter and Backley, I, at this point, you know, you just got to go Backley because I don't really know a whole lot about Porter Yet, I just feel we are lacking data on him. I could easily be wrong in that case. I just, I, I don't feel comfortable speaking enough about it. I, I saw two high school games from him, and then I saw the Georgia game, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, I, I, I feel a little bit out of the loop with Porter. Gotcha. I just remember, or I feel like I remember coming into this year, both of those guys, Porter and Bagley, being hyped up as potential number one overall picks. So... Mm-hmm. Was Jaron Jackson also in that conversation, or has he been a big riser this year? He's someone who's risen over the course of the year. Porter was, for most of last year, the top recruit in high school, and I think towards the end, a couple of recruiting services moved eight and ahead. Uh, And then when Bagley reclassified right before the summer, Bagley pretty much jumped both of them into that top spot. Jackson Mm -hmm. was someone who the recruiting people I talked to really liked but was not someone based on kind of what he had done in high school that they could put any higher uh, than where he was so he's which is to say he was like still a top 10 recruit but he's someone who jumped his way into that conversation with his play this season gotcha okay so let's move on to one of the the guys who's probably going to be more controversial in this year's draft class trey young of Oklahoma I know the Sooners had fallen on hard times as of late it seemed like there were questions as to whether they were even going to make the tournament they did they're playing Rhode Island in the first round if they get by them looks like they're going to get Duke in the round of 32 so Chris Trey Young obviously putting up 
ridiculous numbers, you know, 27 points, almost nine assists, four rebounds. Uh, are you are you concerned by how Oklahoma kind of collapsed down the stretch, and what do you want to see out of him in the tournament? I'm certainly concerned. I think that a lot of the things that happened down the stretch are reflective of a lot of the criticisms that existed for Trey Young coming out of high school in terms of kind of this gunner mentality and a lack of effort on the defensive end. I think that what we want to see in the NCAA tournament is him turn that around. At the end of the year, he was pretty vocal, I think, about the fact that he thought a lot of his struggles had to do with fatigue. I mean, we're talking about someone who was shooting 40% from three earlier in the season and over the last six weeks is shooting around 25%, which is obviously bad. So I think with a week of rest, which he will have had before the game uh, that they play against Rhode Island, that that hopefully we're going to get a full-strength Trey Young. Now, there's some possibility, I think, that he's just finished with college basketball and not particularly interested in playing it anymore. And he's going to get a test when he plays Rhode Island because Rhode Island's point guard, Jared Terrell, is a 6'3", 215-pound senior who's a really good individual defender. Rhode Island has a top 50 defense, and, and they're going to put it to him because you know seniors don't want to leave in the NCAA tournament. So I think that that's going to be a really good test early on of, of what Trey Young really is. And while I don't know that people should invest a ton of stock in individual NCAA tournament ones, tournament games, I kind of think that that's one that matters a little bit more given the last few weeks with, with Trey Young. Interesting. So, so you're saying in other words, it's either going to be like a Steph Curry Davidson type run, or we should all pick Rhode Island in our brackets on Thursday. I don't know that it has to be that bad. It just needs to be like, he just needs to show up. We're talking uh, about a player who over the last couple of weeks, isn't even trying to play defense. Like he's not fighting over screens. He's not recovering to shooters. I, I mean, it is becoming a point now that there's some realistic outcome that he is at one point, the worst defender in the NBA. And if his offense isn't super elite, that's a problem. And so I want to see him just kind of come out, try, get his shots off, create his space. One of the things that's nice about him is even when the shot's not falling, he can take over games with his passing because he is that good of a passer. But it's just a matter of of levels of engagement and um, kind of showing that this fatigue that he he's talked about is worn off. Gotcha. Uh, Mort, are you concerned at all about Trey over the last couple months, or are you? Do you, do you think he's a solid top 10 pick regardless? No, I, I'm a little bit concerned, but I, I, I think people are losing sight of the fact that Simon said he's a freshman, uh, mm-hmm. at, at least when you go on NBA Twitter and you see, you know, you know the, the, the Jimmer for Dead comparisons where you go, <laughs> well, Jimmer was a, a senior, first of all. I mean, here's a freshman coming in and averaging for a better part of the season 30 and 10. That's, that's impressive however you slice it. Um, and, and I feel that you know, you that's been a, a thing that's been overlooked. Offensively, he's been truly magnificent, and the the burden that he's carried, as Chris touched upon, has been so significant that that fatigue would undoubtedly be a factor. Uh, defensively, that's that's the thing. Earlier in the season, I had this mindset, and I think he did so much offensively that he had a, a similar approach as to James Harden used to have, where he just he didn't have the 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 energy to just participate defensively to the same degree that he could offensively. Um, some part of that stays true with me, but looking over the games, uh, I do agree now that he's just not putting in the effort at whatsoever. Whereas before, there was at least a little bit more engagement. So yes, that is absolutely a concern. 
he will have to be an and com- complete scorer, a complete playmaker when he comes out in order to turn that around. Um, having said that, I, I still think a team like Orlando could use him. I am mm. definitely. I mean, this is not a guy who should you know fall significantly down you know and become like a, a an early second rounder or something like that, which I have seen advocated on our our beautiful social media platform. But um, no, I, I still like him. I still think I think he's got some chops. Gotcha. Uh, all right, Mort, get excited. We're moving into Bulls range now. It looks like uh, <laughs> you keep on doing that. <laughs> yeah. The 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 next guys on this list that I'm looking at, at least, uh, it seems like it's a pair of big men: Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter. So, oh. Chris, take it away with both of those guys. Sure. So, Mo Bamba is. I think probably the person that everybody knows a little bit about because he's six foot 11 with a seven foot nine wingspan. He initially coming into college, got a lot of Rudy Gobert comparisons just because of the physical size. I think that over the course of the season, we've seen that that hasn't really borne fruit. Um, Bamba is certainly someone with elite defensive potential, both as a rim protector and someone who can move a little bit around on the perimeter. He's an all right team defender. Uh, and he fits that role really well. The problem with Bamba is we haven't really seen any level of offensive development this season. And I think that that's concerning for someone who is so much bigger than all of the opponents that he's playing. I looked at Synergy yesterday, and he is in the 20th percentile as a pick-and-roll big man. Some of that because he pops out to the free-throw line or pops out to the three-point line way too often. But he's also still only 6 of 9 rolling to the basket and in the 29th percentile there, which is less than ideal. And then in post-ups where he should be dominant, he's only in the 35th percentile. So we haven't seen a ton of offensive skill from him, and I think that that's a problem when we're trying to evaluate his potential ceiling in the NBA. With Carter, he's someone I think a lot of people have latched on to recently, in large part because he's seeing a higher percentage of blocks playing in the middle of Duke's zone. I'm less convinced about his defense than I think a lot of people are early on in the season He got roasted trying to play ball screen defense against a couple of teams just because he doesn't move that well laterally. But he is a really smart player, and he has some intriguing offensive upside as both a pick-and-pop and and pick-and-roll big who can playmake a little bit with his passing. I think he's probably someone who by June will overtake Bamba on my big board. I'm not quite there yet, but I am hopeful that he will deliver a little bit during the NCAA tournament to make that decision easier. Gotcha. So if he, again, let's hypothetically, if Duke and Michigan State meet in the Sweet 16, would he see some time against Bagley as well? Um, so the interesting thing about Duke and Michigan State is that both of them run two big lineups. So Jaron Jackson plays power forward for Michigan State, and Nick Ward, who's a like, 6'8", 260-pound, kind of bruising, below-the-rim big guy, uh, plays center for them. And so I think that they would most likely be matched up with them. Now, obviously, Duke's playing this 2-3 zone now, so they wouldn't get the same one-on-one defensive matchups that you would hope to see. Uh, But we would certainly see Carter battle against Ward down low and Bagley battle against Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, kind of all over the floor. And I think that those are the matchups that people are really hoping to see. Gotcha. Um, I I just have – can I just interject a question here, Chris, regarding Wendell Mm -hmm. Carter? Um, So – how big of a problem is his supposed lack of athleticism? Because sometimes when I watch Duke games, I kind of get this sense that because he's playing next to Marvin Backley, who's just this pogo stick, he, yeah. he just appears very slow. Whereas in reality, he's he's a sneaky good athlete. And I don't know if that's just me watching the game weirdly. 
I think that that could definitely be true. I'm not, I think that that's probably true in terms of vertical athleticism. Like when he goes up to block shots, he gets pretty far out there and can meet guys at the apex. My mm-hmm. concern is mostly with him defending in space and his ability to move laterally, which I just, I'm yeah. not sure that is there. And one of the problems is we haven't got to see any improvement there over the last, you know, six ish weeks that Duke's been playing entirely a two, three zone that plays with, with Carter in the middle of it. Okay, yeah, because I'm I, recently, whenever I've been watching Duke, I, I've had this feeling just come back to me where it says Wendell Carter could actually end up being better than Backley. I even think I mentioned <laughs> yes. that yeah. to Brian a couple of times. Yeah. Um, he, he just he seems like the better playmaker, the better shooter, and uh, as you said, this like the smarter basketball player. And then obviously the major drawback would be not being an, an elite athlete, but if he's you know average athleticism in the NBA which that that would at least take him a little bit further along the way sure I I think that Carter is probably the easier of the two to fit into an NBA system right now just because he is skilled as a playmaker and Mm. has a little bit more shooting has an obvious offensive role Bagley's a really unique talent he's a weird player who is kind of a 6'11 center who's basically played as a point forward for all of his high school teams he was you know, I saw him in uh, Nike UYBL last summer, and he was bringing the ball up, shooting dribbles off the three, or off, shooting threes off the dribble, uh, and, and just doing stuff that other big men weren't doing. But that's because that's kind of the thing that his EYBL team needed. So Bagley versus Carter is a really interesting one to me because I don't know that Bagley has the traditional fit, but I think in terms of upside, his is probably higher just given mm. uh, the athleticism and some of the on-ball skill that he has in terms of his ability to dribble and pass a little bit on the move. Okay, interesting. I'm really happy you dropped your Carter over Bagley take, Mort. I was going to do that for you if you didn't. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't worry. I, I stand I stand I by my crazy-ass thoughts. Well, yeah, I, well, I don't think you're the only person with that take. I think Bagley, a lot of people have soured on Bagley while trying to figure out how, you know, he's going to fit into the NBA. Yeah. And Chris, to Mort's credit, he was all over Donovan Mitchell last year, so I give him crap about his draft takes, but... <laughs> He, he was shockingly right about that one. Nice. Um, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Shockingly. Thank you. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. You're, you should be excited, Mort, because we're, we're going in my guy next. Uh, Mikhail Bridges oh, yeah. from Villanova. Yeah. Chris, as a Sixers guy, I, I in love with this kid, and I feel like if they could somehow – I don't think he's falling to 11 or 12, which is where they're probably going to end up selecting – but if they could move up a couple spots, it seems like he is the perfect prospect for them. Can you uh, shine some light on why I should want them to give up an arm and a leg to move up for him? Yeah, I mean, I can confirm he would probably be the perfect prospect for them. Um, Bridges is really interesting because I think a lot of times when you see 3 and D prospects come out of college, they they go lower in the draft, for one, and most of the best 3 and D prospects who make it in the NBA as 3 and D prospects kind of are stars in college and then turn into three and D prospects in the NBA. And Bridges is weirdly already a terrific three and D prospect averages two steals, 1.4 blocks per 40 minutes shoots better than 40% from three in terms of kind of the statistical numbers of over the last, I think like five or six years, there's not really anyone who compares to him uh, in that, in that vein. The, the question with Bridges is, is there some additional untapped upside that exists there? Uh, one of those particular upsides that could exist is his ability to shoot off of movement more consistently off flare screens, down screens, etc. 
he does a little bit of that for Villanova, but doesn't do it at a high rate. And some of that is just that off-ball movement in college basketball isn't particularly good. The second question is whether or not he can create any offense. And that's something he basically has gotten no opportunities to do at Villanova. I don't know if that's a can question or just a chances question. And the one thing that concerns me is that Josh Hart and Mikhail Bridges followed pretty similar development paths and Hart received a ton of creation opportunities over his last two seasons and Bridges kind of hasn't gotten any of those other than some additional post-ups, but there's some chance that that exists. And then the kind of other question is if it doesn't exist, does it really matter? And the answer is probably not because if you had an elite three and D role player in the NBA, that person's going to get a huge contract and be hugely valuable to a team. And so I think he's kind of the prospect with one of the higher floors in the top 10 in terms of positional need in the NBA and the skill set that he has, but that there might be a little more upside there that people aren't focusing on. Yeah. So he's, he's more than just a standstill in the corner type of guy. I, I would agree with that. Um, in terms of NBA comps, and let's just right off the bat, I, I'm not crazy about NBA comparisons, but sometimes it just helps to like further the point. I, I see sort of like a Chris Middleton-esque type of players player in, in Bridges. Am, am I far off in that regard? I don't think you're far off. I definitely think that that's possible. Middleton's one of those guys who I was kind of talking about who had a big uh, offensive role in college and then took a kind of backseat in, mm. um, in the NBA. And so I think that that could be a reasonable comp, except he's going to probably be – Bridges is probably going to be more in line with already being a quality three and D player uh, when he enters the league. Yeah. Okay. I I think he's he's just a beautiful fit for for any team that's a contender. So I get why Brian is is all over this guy. You wouldn't believe the amount of DMs I've gotten about this kid. <laughs> I mean, the well, nice thing about him is he's he's very easy to plug and play into basically any NBA system. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, Jonathan Sharks of The Ringer had a post, uh, I think last week, an article about Bridges and kind of like how he's just the perfect 3 and D guy. And I, and I think he mentioned Philly as being, a, or he mentioned like him being kind of like a Robert Cummington. And I was like, well, can't we just have two Robert Cummingtons? That seems great. <laughs> so, and yeah, I mean, he, it's know, a little Phil- smaller than Cummington, but that's about yeah. right. And then like Villanova kids, so he's local. It's it, it It's destined to yeah. happen. Hopefully. Um, I'm in. Let's go to the other Bridges. And more. you and I talked about him recently as an example of, you know, we were, we were talking about, like, how sometimes it hurts prospects to come back. Uh, if, if they're a projected high lottery pick, they come back. Scouts pick apart their games if they don't develop further, develop along the uh, path that they are expected to. Chris, are you concerned at all about Bridges – you know, his numbers outside of his free throw shooting being pretty similar to what he did as a freshman? I'm a little bit concerned, but not overly concerned, if only because I'm not sure that he's going to play full-time small forward in the NBA. And so I think we'll probably get a little bit more of what we've seen uh, his freshman season in the NBA if he's a small ball power forward. I also think that there's been some skill development for him, especially over the last month and a half or so in terms of his ability to create some offense. I think he's become a better passer on the move. I think he's been able to generate more offense off of pull-up jumpers. I will say that the one thing that's concerned me the most is that I don't think he does a great job of getting to the rim off the dribble. 
which is why he'll probably excel more in that small ball four role at the next level than as a traditional small forward. I just think he's going to be limited to being more of a straight line driver than somebody who can create his own offense on a consistent basis. So I think that there are some positives that have come from the switch to, to playing small forward for Michigan State in that he's been forced to develop some additional skills, but I don't know that he's shown um, the ability to do all of those things on a consistent basis that we'd want to see him do in the NBA at that position. Gotcha. Um, is it – I mean, <laughs> I might be making this comparison just because they're both – Michigan State guys, but is there any like Draymond Green vibe to him in the sense that he could be that small ball power forward in the NBA? I don't think so. Um, I, I know that that was kind of the initial comparison that people wanted to make with him too, so you're not alone there, but he's not the same defender that Draymond is. He doesn't have the same instincts, and, and I think most importantly for what Draymond is, he's not as big as Draymond is. Miles is really strong, but I think he only has like a seven foot, seven two wingspan, and Draymond's is a little mm. bit longer than that. Draymond's got a couple of inches on him height wise as well. So I think that there are just some physical limitations that Bridges has that prevent him from being that player, but that doesn't mean that he won't be a really good role player. Gotcha. Okay, so I you know, we hit the top ten at least on Tankathon's mock draft. So I, after this, I don't want to go through every single prospect on here. But, Chris, if there are any guys in that late lottery, mid-first round range that are particularly interesting to you, are there, are there guys who can like really help their stock or conversely hurt their stock with a good or bad tournament in that range? I think this race for the point guard spot is going to be really interesting between Trey Young, Colin Sexton, and Shai Gildress-Alexander. Uh, Shy is someone who, over the last two months, has really uh, moved up people's draft boards because he can get to the rim at a high rate despite not being an elite athlete, and he's a great finisher there. He can finish with both hands, uh, understands how to run pick and roll, has some bit of a developing jump shot, even though he's not a high-volume jump shooter right now. And I think that the question of just who's going to be the top point guard's prospect and who's going to be the second-best point guard prospect is one uh, that I'm I'm kind of tuned into for March. And do I, any of those guys, you know, I know you mentioned Trey Young's got a tough first round matchup. Um, I know Sexton and Shy both played well uh, in their respective conference tournaments, but do they have any matchups worth paying attention to or potential matchups, I should say, uh, during the NCAA tournament? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kentucky is in a region that potentially involves a matchup with Arizona, and that could be super interesting. Uh, Arizona doesn't really have the point guard to deal with Shy, but obviously Aiton is, is an intriguing matchup anyway. And then if they win that game, they'll play likely Virginia, who's the number one team in the country and has the best defense potentially in the last 15 years of college basketball. So he could get a lot of uh, value if he performs well against them. And then with Alabama, they open up against Virginia Tech. Um, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is kind of a, a lower-level prospect who plays for them. But the more intriguing Alabama matchup is if they win that game, they'll actually play Villanova. And that's a game where I think Sexton could really shine because Jalen Brunson doesn't have a chance of defending him. Um, yeah. So hopefully we would potentially get some Mikhail Bridges guarding Colin Sexton moments that would be really exciting. 
I'm nice. so glad you just said that. I've always been a fan <laughs> of putting the best defender, regardless of position, on on, on uh, the opposing point guard. Uh, yeah, I I have a question about Jonte Porter because he's so young. Sure. He just he almost just turned 18. Um, how much does age factor into general managers and and scouts who sit there? I mean. You know, now that people are hitting college, you go, oh, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, whatever. But when you look at the age, there, there's a pretty significant difference. I mean, you look at Aiden, who's probably going to be, he's going to be, I think, 20 by draft time. And then you have Jonte Border, who's, who's still going to be 18. I mean, how much does that factor in to, to the opinion of an NBA team on a prospect? It's certainly relevant, just given that there's theoretically a lot of additional room for growth with Jonte in particular it's interesting because you kind of wonder how far along his body is in terms of its athletic development my biggest critique mm. of Jonte right now has nothing to do with his skill level he's incredibly skilled as a passer straight line driver jump shooter but I have a lot of concerns about how he's going to translate defensively just because I don't think he's shown the vertical explosion that you want to see out of your rim protector even though he blocks a lot of shots at the college level and I certainly don't think he's shown the lateral mobility that you want to see. But but you wonder if that's a product of having a slightly less developed body than some of those guys that you mentioned who are a year or two, a year and a half older than he is. I mean, Jonte right now is listed at 6'11", 240 pounds. And that's not a DeAndre Ayton, right, 7'1", 260, where he's just fully ripped. Um, and so I think age matters both in terms of skill development, but also in terms of, of potential physical development. And in particular, I think that's true with Jonte. You know, to, to just to jump on that, but in terms of physical development, um, mm-hmm. and now we're going to go off the draft board back up to Luka Doncic. You know, uh, I, I've seen a, some people mention his body type, that he looks a little bit thick in it you know that he's not necessarily ripped or lean yeah and, and i i've thought for a while that that could be a part of just his his age honestly and and given you know when he enters to an nba training program full-time and you know the diet comes along that that he could actually improve athletically like his numbers could could turn out to be better than they are right now you know the the measurements and and the the you know vertical leap and whatever so how much of a chance does a guy like Luka Doncic, who's already regarded by you, for example, as the best prospect in this draft, mm-hmm. how much room does he have for physical growth or just physical improvement? That's an area that I'm not sure that I'm an expert in, but I would suspect that some of it exists, right? I, I think that what you're saying is exactly right, that Doncic has the potential to develop some additional vertical explosion as he gets into an NBA strength training regimen, as he grows into his body. I mean, he's also, I think, just turned 19 uh, and so he's mm. still developing physically so I, I do think that that's a possibility and the one thing about Doncic that obviously uh, I think often goes overlooked in terms of his athleticism is just like how good of an athlete he is in terms of starting and stopping and movement and all of that uh, and so we know that there's some athleticism there but it's just not necessarily the traditional vertical pop that everybody always sees yeah well, that seems fair I mean I've you know a couple guys uh, during the uh, the Eurobasket when he was playing for Slovenia, yeah. uh, were throwing around the Paul Pierce uh, comp, uh, you know, older Paul Pierce, the 30 year old Paul Pierce comp, in terms of he's basketball smart, but he doesn't necessarily have, you know, a, a tremendous leaping ability or tremendous athleticism, much like Pierce. And I, I think that's where those comps kind of came from. 
So yeah. are you, where, where do you land on a Luka Doncic comparison? I know, again, we're going back to that awful uh, <laughs> clickbaity measurement of <laughs> you know comparing a guy to yeah. another guy, but where do you fall on that? That's a really tough question. I don't know that I have an exact comparison for him because he's such a unique player in terms of his playmaking ability. I mean, he's yeah. one of the best passers we've seen in terms of you know, being able to pass with both hands, create out of the pick and roll and stuff like that. I, he's not someone that I've spent a lot of time thinking about a direct comparison for just because what he's doing is so unprecedented. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That's a fair point. So, Chris, uh, are there any other mid-first-round guys that NBA fans should be paying attention to? I mean, there's a ton of guys who are going to be in the tournament and have opportunities to prove themselves. Kyrie Thomas plays an interesting opening round game. He's a 6'3 shooting guard out of Creighton with a 6'10 wingspan, kind of the Avery Bradley dimensions, who's one of the better perimeter defenders in college basketball. He's going to play uh, against a Kansas State team that has a guard in Barry Brown, who's a good perimeter attacker. Uh, Kate Bates Diop is an interesting one just because he has an opening round matchup against South Dakota State which doesn't sound that exciting, but South Dakota State has a guy, Mike Dom, who's been to the NCAA tournament for two straight years, uh, and is kind of a floor-spacing five, and I think that Ohio State's probably going to try to match Keita Bates-Diop up on him. Bates-Diop's 6'7", combo for 230 pounds, really a smooth offensive game, can block shots from the weak side, kind of fits that mold, but probably doesn't have a, tough of ups- a, a ton of upside. Um, those are a couple of interesting first-round matchups for, for guys that I would have in the mid to late first round that are probably worth watching. Cool. And then what about uh, some second round or fringe prospects? Is there anyone anyone you could see making like a huge surge up the draft board? So I'm a Kansas grad, but the person that I've been locked into is, is Devontae Graham. I've been really impressed with the way he's played over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just as a big time shot maker against West Virginia in the NCAA tournament, he hit uh, two unassisted jumpers, one from three point range, one in the mid range. And he's kind of been a consistent pull up shooter all year. One of the best pick-and-roll ball handlers in college basketball, both in terms of passing, in my mind, and uh, in terms of his ability to get his own shot out of it. He's got NBA three-point range and, and is comfortable shooting off of the catch. He's someone who I think has an opportunity to kind of put his stamp on the tournament, just given what his skill set is and, and what Kansas is going to need to get out of him. Gotcha. Uh, more, any questions about specific prospects? Yeah. Brandon McCoy, he was slated okay. as a mid to late first rounder for the vast majority of the season. Now he's that we're going off of Tankathon mock draft. Now sure. he's all the way down thirty eighth. Uh, I haven't really compared other mocks, but it, it, I wouldn't surprise. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in that area on on multiple mocks. Is he one of those guys that could be drafted late but have a very productive NBA career still? It's possible, but it depends on kind of what role he would be productive in. The problem with him is he's not a particularly good athlete. And for someone who's seven foot tall and only averaging two and a half blocks for 40 minutes, he's not the rim protector that you want him to be. He's putting up tremendous counting stats in terms of points and rebounds and generating kind of baskets as uh, kind of the dump off guy for UNLV. But I don't know that we've seen the kind of skill development. I think as the year has gone on, people have realized that what he does doesn't necessarily fit what the modern NBA wants right now. And the question mm-hmm. is, could he find a role and be in the NBA for a long time? I think as a role player, certainly. Um, but his upside, I think, is has dropped significantly over the course of the season. 
So so he would be sort of a you know Al Jefferson, Greg Monroe type coming off the bench for fifteen to twenty minutes at night and just getting buckets and grabbing boards and then you kind of live with the the shoddy defense. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. And then you, but you obviously have to hope that his post up offense is is good enough to do that. And I don't know that it is yeah. right now. Okay, and given the fact that he's not you know a superb athlete, he's not going to be one of those pick and roll. Uh, high octane centers who's going to catch a bunch of lofts every game I I imagine probably not yeah yeah okay Wait, are you not, not going to bring up your kid from Marshall oh yes I am thank you um, let's see here I have a problem pronouncing his name because I'm just not sure Ashton Penava if you know the, for the kid from Marshall he leads the yeah. nation in blocks yeah so uh, he's not been slotted on any draft boards, which kind of puzzled me. I caught a couple of games with him, and outside of being the the, the NCAA leader in blocks, this guy actually shot over 40% from three, uh, at least over the first half of the season. Then he got injured, and his shot suffered a little bit. He He's a decent from the free throw line. He's a supreme passer, even though he's only averaging 1.9 assists. I mean, he's making some really hard passes. And I'm just kind of wondering why he's not on the NBA radar. I got a shout out Trevor Magnati. He had him on his draft board over at the step back earlier this year. Um, But I'm interested to watch him in the NCAA tournament. I honestly haven't watched a ton of Marshall basketball this year, but they have an interesting opening round matchup uh, against Wichita state who isn't as good defensively as they've been in the past, but they are, they have the talent to be good defensively and they have a big man in Shaq Morris, who I think will put, uh, Panava to the test. I think mm. part of the problem with Panava is that there are some questions about how much his statistics are inflated for playing in the Dan D'Antoni system, right? Dan D'Antoni is the brother of Mike D'Antoni, and he's brought kind of all of the the Mike D'Antoni ideas to college basketball. So they run and gun, shoot a ton of threes, play at a high pace, uh, all of that. And I think that there are some questions about how much of Panava's production has been the result of the system versus his skill set individually. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because every time I've seen him play, I've just been kind of uh, surprised at, at his versatile skill set. I mean, he's standing outside the three-point line and throwing one-handed bounce passes into the lane for cutters yeah. and just hitting on the spot, which, you know, that's that's a trait that certainly, to me at least, seems transferable to the NBA. Yeah, I tend to agree. I'll be, like I said, I'm really interested to see him play against some, some quality yeah. competition in that first round. Absolutely. Any other prospects more, or should we move on to matchups that we should hope to expect? Well, I, I'm looking over the list. Only one more thing, and that's Alonso Trier. Um, we talked mm-hmm. about Aiden before, also obviously a teammate of his. Uh, Trier, I've you know, outside of having a decent statistical profile in terms of production, um, you know, what what is he lacking to be uh, to rise? I should say in the draft board. I think a lot of it has to do with the defense. I just don't know that there's enough of that there for people to feel comfortable with him as, as a prospect. I mean, he's obviously a microwave scorer, putting up uh, insane efficiency numbers on really high usage, right? He's got a near 25% usage rate and an over uh, 65% true shooting percentage while shooting nearly 40% from three. So we know he can score. We know he can shoot. He gets to a spot well on the offensive end, but I don't know that we've seen enough that suggests he can uh, be the type of defender who's going to have – you know, a reason to stay on the NBA court. Okay. 
Now I'm out, Brian. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, so Chris, you've already brought up a couple matchups that, you know, in the first round that individual players to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned the Michigan State-Duke possible meeting in Sweet 16. What other potential matchups down the line should NBA fans hope to see, be rooting for, that kind of thing? Sure. One of the ones that I am intrigued by that could happen in the Sweet 16 is Arizona against Virginia. One of the principles of Virginia's defense is that they aggressively double the post in order to get the ball out of those guys' hands, and they leave open a bunch of shooters. And I think that's really interesting with DeAndre Ayton, and it might be a case, an opportunity to kind of showcase one of his underrated attributes, which I think is his passing. I don't think he's a particularly good passer on the move, but he's a terrific passer from a standstill in terms of being able to locate and find shooters. And I think it would be really interesting to watch him in, in sort of a chess match with the Virginia defense that almost never goes away from doubling the post. Uh, that one sticks out to me. Uh, there's a possible Elite Eight matchup between Texas Tech and Villanova that would match up Mikhail Bridges against Zaire Smith. I think mm-hmm. that in terms of the basketball Twitter world, those are kind of the, the last two seasons of uh, really hyped wings who are not necessarily viewed as highly – uh, overall by folks i think that basketball twitter would lose its mind if mikhail bridges <laughs> uh matched up with Zaire smith in in the elite eight and i think that would be a really fun matchup smith's not the offensive player that bridges is but he's certainly the uh his equal defensively i kind of think at this point and is a tremendous athlete really fun to watch player um and that's i think kind of the one that i'm hoping happens the most nice smith Right now on Tankathon is mocked to the Sixers at 12, so I'll have to hope for that too in case my baby boy Mikhail is gone by then. Um, <laughs> Chris, it might be too early to ask this since we're recording this on a Tuesday, but have you filled out your bracket yet? And do you, are you leaning any way in, in terms of the Final Four, your national champion? So I have not filled out my bracket yet. I was going to do that after this pod, actually. Um, If I were to pick a Final Four, I have thought about that. It would probably be Virginia, uh, Villanova, Duke, and I think Gonzaga. The West region is really awkward, and there's not any particularly good teams there. Uh, And then I think I would have a Virginia-Villanova final with Villanova winning. Spicy. All right, good. I'm going to steal all of those picks if you don't mind. (laughs) Go for it. Uh, Mort, any other questions for Chris before we let him go? No, I, I think we're pretty much settled. I might. Uh, I'm just go. I'm giving this this uh, the the mock draft a one one more look, and you know, you know what, Anthony Simmons. Do yeah. you have any intel and, and insight into this kid? And if if so, educate me, Chris. <laughs> uh, I have not watched a ton of him play, uh, or watched him play a ton. He's a postgraduate student at IMG Academy, who's six four and is kind of a lightning bug combo guard who can. Uh, get buckets at all three levels and this day and age when you're 18 years old and you can do that and potentially declare for the draft you might be a first round pick Mm. so uh he could be interesting as a score as a microwave score or is he you know does he have the athletic ability to be more than that yeah he certainly i think has the athletic the ability to be more than that i just don't think we know very well yet because he hasn't played against um, yeah. college level competition i think he was named to the nike hoop summit roster today so there'll be an interesting opportunity to get a look at him out there too. oh nice yeah okay that's interesting um yeah because him and mitchell robinson obviously slotted as first yeah. round draft picks and without a whole lot of data on them so it's yeah. uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see where they 
where they end up if they even you know are drafted in the first round or if they slip to the second i mean uh i, I guess that's up in the air right yeah, it is. Mitchell Robinson, I think, is almost certain to go in the first round, just given his skill set. He's seven feet tall and was probably the most uh, athletic and maybe the best shot-blocking big in the class coming out of high school. But nobody really knows what he's been doing for the last year, just training for the draft in the Dallas area because he went through this awkward, committed to Western Kentucky, withdrew from Western Kentucky and visited a couple of different places and then went back to Western Kentucky and then disappeared and no one really knows it. Like that's a question that he's going to have to answer when the NBA draft comes around and when he gets interviewed is just what the hell happened with the Western <laughs> Kentucky situation. Oh, it would, be, it would be a great story if when he resurfaced, he was just a, a beast uh, that he had yeah. chiseled Deandre eight and physique and was just <laughs> ready to, to, to ball out. Yeah, I know it's the Jack like Express a... guys went down and, and met with him and, and got to see him work out maybe a couple weeks ago. So there's a little bit of video out there. It's not not quite dunking on a chair quality video, but <laughs> <laughs> we need we need more of that in our lives. I know. Uh, all right, Chris. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, can you remind our listeners again where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Sure, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Seastone Hoops, and you can find my draft work at the Sporting News and college basketball work at Fansided and Rush the Court. Very good. Yeah, please give Chris a follow. He will be extremely informative, as you could tell from this last hour uh, over these next couple weeks and leading up to the lottery, the draft. It's a fun couple months ahead for those who are really into prospects. Uh, in the meantime, please give us a follow on Twitter as well at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so please follow us as well and light up our mentions, especially if Mort tweets bad takes about Ben Simmons again. Bad <laughs> fake ta- takes, I, I should add. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, so please follow us there. Subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. Check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FRS Hoops with a Z. Also, I would be remiss if I did not shout out my friends Alex and Chris Hasegawa for having a beautiful baby girl today. Congratulations to the both of you. Uh, my wife and I are the godparents, and my first instinct upon hearing this was, oh shit, I need to go buy a shotgun so once the mouth breathers start drooling all over her in 15 years... <laughs> I'll be at the door, locked and loaded. Good thing I live in Tennessee. Uh, (laughs) On that note, I'm Brian Zaporek, and I was joined, as always, by my co-host Morton Jensen, along with a very special guest, Chris Stone. Both of you guys, have a good one. Thanks for joining today. Thanks. Have a good one. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. 
That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.